0: Well, no matter who you are, you have one of these. You have a one another in your life. You have a friend, a roommate, or a neighbor. You have a coworker, a boss, or an employee. perhaps you even have a spouse, or a boyfriend, or a girlfriend, or maybe some children, or some adoptive children, some stepchildren, some foster children, or some grandchildren. You got your parents, or your step-parents, your adoptive parents, or your grandparents. You got all your extended family and all the different shapes and sizes that they come in. And then you got all the rest of the people in the world. You got the person in the drive-through line or the attendant on your flight and all the other people that are on the other side of your social media. You have one another's. Regardless of your situation, it's just true. Whether you like it or not, or whether you even want it or not, we all have the task every single day of one anothering, interacting with the people that are in our lives. And evidently, it doesn't always go so perfectly. Evidently, we all need a little bit of help because the amount of money that we collectively spend on marriage books and parenting resources and dating apps and leadership and management books and workplace culture secrets and conflict resolution and all things like that, it is it's staggering. And this last season of pandemic and everything that we went through surely didn't help, right? Chances are during this last year, you were isolated from many of your one another's while simultaneously being brought into constant close quarters with some other one another's. Uh, When the presidential election came along, chances are you found yourself in disagreement with, or perhaps open conflict with, some one another's. And now that things are opening back up and life's kind of returning to normal, perhaps you have found that in your isolation, you kind of forgot how to one another. Like, uh, what was I supposed to do with my hands? I forgot, you know? (laughs) Hello, friend. And regardless of who you are, we all have one another's and we're all trying to figure out how to do it well. And it may surprise you to know that one anothering is actually a specialty of the church. Something the church is supposed to be known for, like even a market leader in, if you will. And not because I say so, but because its founder Jesus famously said so. He said these words right here. We talk about this verse all the time around our church. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, he was about to die on a cross for the sins of the world and we believe rise from the dead to offer us eternal life. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. Couldn't have made it more clear. Jesus says the church is supposed to be known for how we love one another. It's what we're supposed to be famous for. It's how you're supposed to be able to tell that there's a local church in the area, that there's this group of people, or if it's big enough, there's this organization whose distinguishing mark, whose main export, whose reputation in the community is that they one another really, really well. In fact, this is one of the things that initially drew so many people to Christianity. They just treated you so well, like no matter who you were, no matter your race or your gender or your socioeconomic class or or what category you were in, they just treated you like, like you were in the family, like they just treated you so well. And not only that, if you spent enough time with them and you started trying some of these tactics of these Christians, it made your relationships better. It made you better at one anothering. Like it made family and work relationships better. It made the community better. It made public discourse and conflict better. It was kind of the church's secret sauce. To which if you're not a Christian, I know some of you might be going, "Uh, wait a minute. Do my Christian family members know about this? (laughs) Does my Christian boss know this verse? Are those Christian people that I uh, interact with on Twitter, like are they aware of this? And I, I understand, I get it, I get it. If there's anything that centuries of doing church has taught us, it's that this command of Jesus, this distinctive of loving one another is something that's easy to lose. I mean, sometimes it's just easier for Christians to make church about our, our services and our theology rather than our one anothering. Sometimes it's, easy, it's just easier to make this one of those verses we smile and nod at like, oh, that's nice, and rather than actually apply. Because one anothering is hard. And like every one of you, sometimes I just want to be mean. Sometimes I just want to be petty or impatient or selfish or whatever. And so, yeah, sometimes the secret sauce does get lost in the mix. And this last season didn't help at all, did it? This last season was known for anything but good one anothering. We as a culture have spent the last year practicing a whole lot of different ways to not love one another well. And I think that our one another muscles have taken a beating in this past season, or at best, they've gotten a little bit atrophied from all of the isolation. And if you're anything like me, you might need a little bit of a refresher course. And that's what this series is. This series is a call back to the basics. It's a call back to one anothering the way Jesus commanded us to one another, And it's not just for Jesus followers. We're gonna talk about three practices that were we to start, resume, or accelerate doing them, they would immediately make our lives better, our relationships healthier, our workplaces more productive, our reputations more positive, our influence as leaders and parents and coaches deeper, our dialogue more constructive, and I believe our communities an even nicer place to live. So this is for everyone. But for those of us in the, in, who are Jesus followers, here's why this is doubly important for us. This is what we are supposed to be famous for in our city. This is what we are supposed to be known for in our city, what you're supposed to be known for wherever it is that you are watching this right now. And if we are not careful, if we don't tune in in this season, I believe that we are gonna risk losing our distinctive as Christians. And we are gonna risk missing out on an amazing opportunity to make Jesus famous for what he wants to be famous for. I think we gotta get back to the basics like never before. And so we're gonna spend a couple of weeks directly addressing where we found ourselves on the other side of what has probably been the toughest year in most of our lives. And we're gonna see how Jesus' command to love one another as he has loved us ought to impact and I believe completely change our words to one another our conflicts with one another, and the narratives we tell about one another. And today we're gonna talk about our words. Now, most of you in the room can probably remember a time when our exchange of words looked very, very, very different than it does today. Many of you, if not most of you in the room, you can remember a time when there was no internet, hello, Uh, a time when uh, snail mail, like mailbox mail, was your only option for correspondence, You remember a time when telephones were boxes on the wall with a long cord that you had to like, you know, wrap around and get out of the way of, maybe even a rotary dial. And if you wanted to have a face-to-face conversation, what'd you have to do? Go to their house, yeah. Some of you, most of you probably remember a time when your main source of news was when someone physically threw a paper, I mean, newspaper in your driveway. You remember those times. If you're sitting next to somebody from Gen Z, just put your hand on their shoulder, they're probably having a panic attack, but. uh, now, now, obviously those days are, are long gone and everything has completely changed. Everything has completely changed. In fact, two things are true of our culture today. Number one, we are using and consuming more words than ever before, than ever before, by a lot. Check out some of these statistics. It's estimated that in 2020, on average, people across the world, the globe, sent on average 306 billion emails, 4.5, trillion text messages, 500 million tweets, and watched 525 million hours of YouTube per day. Yeah, per day in 2020 around the globe. In fact, it's estimated that in 2020, humans created almost 2.5 quintillion bytes of data. That's 2.5 times 10 to the 18 per day. The same article that I found this statistic in, they said, they estimate that um, it's been growing exponentially every single year for many years, that in fact, you could take any year since the birth of social media. And in that year, humans communicated more words than all the previous years of human history combined. We're using more words than ever before. And number two, we're thinking less about them than ever before. You already know that's true. We're thinking less about them than ever before. When words were harder to communicate and the process took longer and the interaction was more personal, we spent a little more time formulating them. Like we spent more time thinking about them. I mean, just think about the difference between writing a letter and sending a text message or the difference between a face-to-face conversation and the Facebook comment section, right? Uh, And it's nobody's fault, it's inevitable. It's just natural when our society and our culture is this way we can send words out into the world with very little effort and almost no direct accountability and feedback. And it's happening all the time, every single day. And so we don't feel the weight of our words like we used to, which is why, by the way, you and I both have said things in an email that we would not have said face-to-face. It's why we, uh, you have seen people talk to each other on social media, particularly in the comments section or on news networks in ways you couldn't imagine them doing if they were actually sitting in a living room together. We're using more words than ever before and we're thinking less about them than ever before. To which you might be responding or thinking, sitting there. Okay, Jamie, I mean, that's interesting, but so what? You know, like, what, I don't see the, what's the problem with that? That's fascinating, but not necessarily concerning. Uh, Why are you spending a whole Sunday talking about our words? Well, here's why. Because this is true right here, the tongue Has the power of life and death. Those who love it will eat its fruit. That's King Solomon. King Solomon of Israel was considered to be the wisest man to have ever lived because God, according to the scriptures, had granted him extraordinary wisdom. And he recorded his insights about the world in Proverbs that he wrote for his children. And I believe this observation is so poignant. He's saying the tongue, metaphorically talking about our words, the tongue has a power of life and death. In other words, children, hey, don't forget, words don't just have content. Words have power. They don't just have content. Words have power. Your words have power. For isn't it true that you can speak and in a moment fill someone's heart or crush it? Isn't it true that you can speak and in just a few sentences, bolster someone with confidence or cripple them with insecurity? Isn't it true that you can speak and with mere words, you can give someone an incredible sense of worth and value or plant in them shame and worthlessness? Isn't it true that with your words, with just words, you can draw someone close or push them away? You can bestow dignity or bestow degradation. You can surround somebody in support or you can isolate them with opposition. Yeah, that's true. Why? Why? because your words have the power of life and death. And that's not random by the way, just a theological side note, because I'm a Bible nerd. Uh, Our words have power because God's words have power. In fact, you remember the creation account in Genesis chapter one? You remember what happens when God speaks? Yeah, creation, light, land, creatures. Or hey, do you remember in John chapter one when the apostle John says that the word of God became flesh and walked among us? And do you remember what happened when Jesus walked among us? Yeah, miracles, healings, revelations, supernatural salvation. The God's word, God's word has power. Like when God speaks, existence bends around him and you are made in his image. So when you speak, It has power, which is why, which is why many of our best moments and most cherished memories are words. Like when you or somebody else spoke words of love or commitment or affirmation or belief. And it's why many of our biggest regrets and our deepest wounds are words. Like when you or somebody else spoke in anger or spoken harshness or spoken carelessness. Because though our words may not have power to create galaxies, our words do have power to create all kinds of wonderful and terrible things in those to whom we speak. And that's why, for most of us in the room, you may not be able to remember what somebody said to you five minutes, what you said to somebody five minutes ago, but you can remember what someone said to you five years ago. Isn't that right? because what they said had such life-giving or life-taking power that it is still with you to this day. And Solomon is saying, your words have the power of life and death. And then he gives us this warning. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Those who love it will eat its fruit. And my friends, we love the tongue more than any culture of any generation that has ever walked the face of the earth. We are using more words than ever before and we are thinking less about them than ever before. And I humbly believe that we urgently need to tune in because we have allowed ourselves to develop a dangerous habit. A habit that has the potential to undermine our ability to one another well, the way we want one another, and consequently has the potential to undermine our ability as a church to be known for what we're supposed to be known for. And it's this habit right here. Several years ago, the Harvard Business Review published an article that reported on several different studies that people had done about our words. Uh, Several different groups, they had studied the ratio of our positive words to our negative words, or to quote Solomon, the ratio of our life-giving words to our life taking words. And they were looking for a correlation between that ratio and the health and the productivity of our work and our personal relationships. And this subject matter became a fad for a minute and it spawned a whole bunch of studies and articles and you can find those on Google. But the results are fascinating. One psychologist, John Gottman, he famously studied a sample of marriages and he tracked their ratio of positive words to negative words. And he determined that there was a strong correlation between the ratio of a couple and the success of their marriage. And he determined that the ideal ratio, and he published this, this a huge book, you can read it's hard to get through, but it's really good stuff. Um, he determined that the ideal ratio for a successful marriage was five positive words for every one negative word. Five life-giving words to every one Life-taking work. And this is crazy. He predicted with 94% accuracy whether a marriage would stay together or not solely based on this ratio. Then another group came along and they studied workplace teams, tracked their ratios as well. And they also concluded that there was a strong correlation between the ratio on a team and the success of the team. And they published that the most successful work teams had in common, on average, a ratio of about 5 Positive words to one negative word. I believe technically the average was 5.67. Then child specialists jumped into the mix and started looking at it from a parenting perspective. And they you know, wrote articles and stuff that you can find. And they said, you know what? Gottman nailed it. If you wanted to pick a ratio that was gonna maximize a child's motivation and self-esteem and their growth, it's not just three to one. It's not just four to one. No, it is five to one. You gotta have the one. Like the one is massively important. You gotta have correction and discipline and coaching and boundaries and all that. Absolutely. But a child needs to grow up in a climate of life giving words. And and by the way, they weren't making a moral point. None of them were like, you ought to do this. There there was no faith element or religious element in it whatsoever. They were just simply observing that we function best in this environment. That if if, if you were to pick a ratio fine-tuned for human growth and productivity, evidently it's this right here, five life-giving words for every one life-taking word. And that's fascinating. Or at least I found it fascinating. I mean, it's helpful to know. But you don't want to know what the gut punch for me was? Five to one? This is the ideal. These are the highest performing teams, these are the best marriages. You want to know what most of us actually do? How most of us actually speak? Well, according to the data, and I had to look into this and do a little math myself because it wasn't the point of the article, but from what I can tell, most of us end up living in this zone right here. One positive word for every three negative words. This is average. This is the majority. Most of us end up in the zone of a one to three negative ratio. Five to one is ideal. We get the best out of people and the best for them here. But the data indicates that most of us have developed a habit of something quite different. And I know this sounds kind of bad, but when I saw that, I was kind of (laughs) relieved. Made me feel a little better. Uh, Because five to one, I mean, that's neat. And congratulations to those marriages and those work teams. But that is not what my last year has looked like, just being honest with you. Like, it's not what my home has sounded like. That's not how I parented through the pandemic, you know? Just just isn't. In fact, a lot of days, maybe even most days, it felt just like this right here. Some days, you know, felt more like that. Like, this isn't what it felt like when I picked up my phone, you know, and opened social media or turned on the news, you know? You open Twitter and it's like somebody backs a dump truck up to it, (laughs) you open the next door and they're like, howdy neighbor, let's talk about your dog. We're gonna get to your trash cans. That's a different post. You're gonna love the comments. Uh, (laughs) Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, But evidently, evidently most of us live with a habit of, and in a climate of a one to three negative ratio. And this data came out well before, way before the pandemic, well before we all stayed home and stacked family and work on top of each other, and then added a health crisis and a racial crisis and a election and financial uncertainty on top, just to name a few. And by all indications, the ratio got even worse. In fact, just show of hands, we can participate here. Uh, who in the room has noticed an uptick or even a surge in life-taking words in the past year of, of, of your life, looking out at our culture? Anybody notice that? Yeah, a ton of hands in the room. We spent the last year kind of getting a crash course and talking to one another with life-taking words. This kind of ratio, one to three, or perhaps even worse, has in some respects been normalized. And my friends, that is a problem. That's a problem. We have normalized a way of talking to each other that is going to keep us all from thriving. We've normalized a way of speaking to one another that is gonna keep us mediocre in our marriages, gonna keep us mediocre in our work teams, gonna keep us mediocre in our friendships, a ratio that's gonna ensure that we have more insecurity than confidence, more hurt than healing, uh, more regret than fond memories, and a more divided than unified community. And that's That's a problem. And church, it's a double big problem for us, an extra big problem for us. And here's why. Because it is impossible, not not just difficult, it is impossible to love one another as Jesus has loved us while talking like this. And we are never gonna be known for what we're supposed to be known for as long as we just blend in and go with the flow. Maybe we need to wake up and shake off the slumber of isolation, warm up some muscles maybe we haven't used in a minute and forge a different path. And in light of that, I would like to encourage us all, me included, I would like to encourage us to consider and put into practice starting today an approach to our words given to us by the Apostle Paul. Whether you are religious or not, if you will start doing what I'm about to read to you it will instantly make your life and your relationships and our community better. If you are a Christian, chances are you have heard these words before. But if you're anything like me, perhaps you dismiss them as ideal, as pie in the sky, as yeah, 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 that sounds nice and sounds real Jesusy, but that's just not practical. And if that's the case, I'd love to invite you today to make it Practical. I'd love to invite you today to feel called to this verse like never before, to start putting it into practice as if life and death actually are at stake because they in fact are. And it's found in Paul's letter to the Ephesians when he says, and he writes these words, he says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This is part one of three, of how I'd like to encourage us to be famous for loving one another, to be known as those Jesus people who take his command seriously. I would love for us to become known by this verse, to be different from culture because we ruthlessly practice this verse, to be delightfully distinct from the trends because we normalize this verse wherever we happen to be. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only What is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Let's unpack that verse a little bit more uh, and and, kind of examine some of the parts. First, for starters, in general, Paul is addressing the quality of the talk that comes out of your mouth and my mouth. And there's two kinds of talk that he identifies. The first is this, unwholesome talk. That word unwholesome isn't just like, you know, a, a bad word here or there or whatever. What, that word literally in the Greek, it means decaying or putrefied. These are dead words, dead talk. Don't let dead talk come out of your mouth. And he contrasts dead talk with words that fall into this category, building others up. That's a construction word. It's like you're building up. You're building up somebody's life, hopes, dreams, futures, self-esteem, confidence, whatever. And oddly enough, what you see in this verse is that Paul is talking about your personal ratio. He's talking about your personal ratio of life giving words that build up and life taking words that are dead words. And he says, don't let the unwholesome talk come out. And I love how real that is. Like this isn't just church talk, like just just love everyone and and just never let a negative word even come into your mind. Like no, Paul is saying unwholesome words are absolutely gonna come. You're gonna think them, you're gonna feel them, you're gonna compose them and you're gonna wanna say them. And they're gonna be lined up like right here, ready to rock and roll. They're gonna be in your throat going, say me, say me. Say me, say save me, say save me, save. type me, type me, type me, post it, post it, you know? And you gotta decide, no, I'm not gonna let him out. I'm not gonna let him out. Not today, not here, not to him, not to her, not to then. them, I'm not gonna let dead words, I'm not gonna let life-taking words come out of my mouth. I'm gonna hold them in. So that's one half of this. And, but there's the other half, and the other half is that instead, what is gonna make it out What is gonna get pushed out? What's gonna make it past the security checkpoint, if you will, are only words that fall into this category, the building others up. Well, those words you're actively gonna push out. Because isn't it true that just as there are times where we need to hold words in, you know, there are equally times when we need to actively push them out. We need to like intentionally say life-giving words rather than staying silent. That's the idea here that you're gonna, hold in life-taking words, and you're gonna push out life-giving words. And if you start doing that, at first, there are some times where it's gonna feel unnatural. And here's why, I mean, he says it, because it's going to. it means that we're gonna have to change completely the way that we think about our words. It means that you and I are gonna have to start speaking according to their needs. That's not what I naturally do all the time. Most of the time when we speak, we're thinking about whose needs? Yeah, my needs. Thinking about what I wanna say, what my opinion is, and did they laugh at me, and was it was that I heard, and uh, what I believe, and what point I wanna make, and how offended I am. You know, we're always thinking about our needs, but this verse requires you and I to embrace the truth that our gift of speaking, our power of speaking that we have from God has not been given to us for our needs, it's been given to us for their needs. And as long as you and I, if you and I are only thinking about our needs, when we're talking to, when I'm talking to my kids or I'm talking to my wife, or I'm talking to my coworkers or my neighbors or my friends or social media, God through Paul is saying, "Ah, you are not ready or qualified to speak in this moment. You need to do less talking and more thinking because this command requires you to think more about your audience than about yourself. That it may benefit those who listen. Here's another way that this is gonna feel unnatural at first, or at least at least for me, because y'all, I don't always wanna benefit those who are listening. Sometimes the whole point of my words is to not benefit those who are listening. And God through Paul is saying, if that's the case, then you are not ready or qualified to speak in this moment. You need to do less talking and you need to do more praying because if you're gonna speak like your heavenly father speaks, you gotta be in the business of benefiting those who listen. Isn't that good? And that's Paul's point. His point is that you have a ratio right now. Your family, your friends, the people on your social media could probably give you an accurate estimate of what your ratio is, but you have a ratio. And this, one to three, is what's gonna happen naturally without intervention. Without trying or without intervening, you and I, um, yeah, personality dependent, sure, situationally dependent, sure, maturity and age all impacts this. But in general, without intervention, you and I are gonna live somewhere in the zone of one life-taking word to I mean, life-giving word to three life-taking words. And the apostle Paul is simply saying, You gotta intervene. You gotta intervene. You gotta have a self-imposed filter on the words that come out of your mouth. You gotta start holding in the life-taking words, and you gotta start pushing out the life ah, you gotta yeah, and start pushing out the life-giving words so that you can begin to change your ratio. You gotta start changing your ratio because work doesn't have to look like this. Home doesn't have to look like this. Your friend group doesn't have to look like this. Your marriage doesn't have to look like this. Your neighborhood doesn't have to look like this. Your social media account doesn't have to look like this. Our culture doesn't have to look like this. It shouldn't look like this. None of us want it to look like this. This isn't the best for anybody and it doesn't bring the best out of anybody. And if you're a Jesus follower, it can't look like this. Oh no, there's just too much at stake. This is not who we are. Why? Because it's not who he is. You know this, this isn't how the Savior who loves you has talked to you. Jesus has spoken grace into your life. Jesus has spoken encouragement into your life. He's spoken freedom into your life. He's spoken hope into your life. He's spoken restoration into your life. He's spoken a future into your life. Jesus has spoken resurrection life into your life. And that's exactly what he wants to speak into the lives of every single person you know. And the Apostle Paul is urging us, you gotta change your ratio. Church, you gotta change your ratio. You gotta have a counter-cultural filter over your mouth so that you can create a countercultural result in your life and in the lives of others and get busy being Famous for loving one another as Jesus has loved you. Your words, my words, your words have the power of life and death. So, what do you say? What do you say we tune in this morning and start changing our ratio for our families? for our friends, for our coworkers, and for a community that really, 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 really needs it. What do you say we change our ratio and love one another as Jesus has loved us? And real quick, before we move on from that thought, some of you might be sitting there thinking like, okay, hold on, like I'm in. I mean, you got me with the idea, but if we were to do this, does this mean that I'm not gonna tell the truth? Are you telling me not to be honest? Not to say it like it is? And no, I'm not saying that. You should always speak the truth. But just remember that Jesus was full of both grace and truth. Endeavor to be the same. It'll help you get past just making a point to actually making a difference in the lives of those around you. After all, has anybody actually changed your mind or your beliefs with life taking words? I doubt it. Or, hey, does this mean that we're not gonna evaluate? Like we're not gonna discipline our kids or students or play, you know, coaches aren't gonna discipline players. No, 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 no. The scriptures say that God disciplines those he loves, but he does it like a father, always with an eye to building up through discipline, Right? So this isn't a call to coddle your employees or hand out participation trophies. No, correction, evaluation, discipline, feedback are an essential part of parenting, leading, coaching in whatever capacity that you're doing. However, if you translate that to a steady diet of life-taking words, you're not giving anybody strength. You're giving them weakness. You're not bestowing toughness. You're just bestowing insecurity. Or finally, does this mean that we don't ever take a stand? No, you always stand up for yourself you should always stand for what is right and you should always stand against what is evil. Always use your words to do that, but just master the art of standing with people too. Master that art of fighting for people, not just with them. You know what I mean? Like on social media, don't just oppose people, like fight for them, believe in them, or at a minimum, at a minimum, speak to them with the dignity that you would somebody made in the image of God and died for by the savior of the world. Like at a minimum, do that. So no, there is totally room in this idea for speaking the truth, giving evaluation, and and taking a stand. In fact, the data indicates that if you will change your ratio, you will become more effective at all three of those, if effectiveness is what you're after. So that's what I would love to invite us to do today. I would love to invite you to join me this summer, and Lord knows I need to do this as much as anybody in the room, I would love to invite you to join me this summer in picking one arena of your life, and in that arena, picking one relationship that needs it the most, and start applying this verse. In fact, if you would, I'd love for you to just do it right where you're sitting right now in your mind. Would you be willing to do that? Right here, right now, I'd love to invite you, just pick an arena of your life that you think you needed to hear this this morning for. Family, work. Friends, pick an arena. Now, in that arena, pick one relationship that you think probably needs it the most. You got it? I'd love to challenge you to start right there. I'd love to challenge you to start changing your ratio right there. Start holding in life-taking words, pushing out life-giving words. Does your ratio have to be five to one? Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. But the scripture and the data both indicate that it should at least tip in the positive direction, right? And there are so many ways to do that, so many tricks, so many habits, we're gonna be posting a lot of those online this week to help you figure out. Uh, we're not gonna go through all of them right here today. Um, you probably already have a lot of tools for doing that. You probably already know what you need to start doing, but we are gonna give you one, one tool, one step to take. And that is this. Every one of you is gonna get a card on the way out. And we've even stamped it for you. Look at that. And I'd love for you to take like five minutes and write a note of life-giving words to somebody who really needs it and stick it in the mail. One arena, one relationship. Start changing your ratio. And here's why I want us to do this so bad. Here's why I think God wants us to tune into this so bad, me included, Lord knows I need this more than anybody. Because remember, this isn't just about you being a nice person. That's not what today is about. This isn't that, oh, let's just be nicer, just be more Christian-y. No, there's a whole lot more at stake than that. Remember what's at stake is that you, that you and I would be great at doing this, building others up. Your words have the power of life and death. And you wanna bless your kids with life. You wanna bless your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend with life. You wanna bless your friends with life, your family members with life, your coworkers with life, your neighbors with life, our community with life. And I'm telling you, if you will start changing your ratio, you will instantly begin to see relational and professional dividends. Because this is not just what nice people look like. This is not just what you know, Christian people look like. This is evidently what great leaders look like, what high-performing teams look like, what great marriages look like. What great parents whose kids like still go to them for advice when they're grown look like. This is what lifelong friends look like. This is what a healthy community looks like. Not that we don't disagree or have conflicts or evaluate or give feedback, of course we do. But we just tune into the power of our words and we choose to be life givers rather than life takers. We choose to create an atmosphere that even the Harvard Business Review says is essential for our marriages, our workplace teams, and our ordinary everyday relationships to thrive. And of course, God wants that for you. You want that for you. But for those of us in the room who are Jesus followers, I'd like to just take it one step further because this isn't just about us being great at building others up. This is also very importantly about us being great at pointing others up. Pointing others up. Because this isn't just what successful people look like. This is what God looks like. Remember when God speaks things come alive. When God spoke into your life, you came alive and we're called to be like him. And I hope we never forget that when it comes to your brothers and sisters in Christ, your words are meant to be an extension of God's to them. Like, you know, one of those little Wi-Fi extenders in your house. When we speak to our children and our spouse and our brothers and sisters in Christ and our church family, our words are meant to be an extension of God's to them. Not that we don't shoot the breeze or talk about nothing most of the time, but that like simultaneously we're called to speak truth and wisdom and grace and the gospel into one another. God has spoken and we have an amazing opportunity to pass that on to one another. Church family, I wonder what are we passing on to one another and do we need to change our ratio? But it's not just that our words are an extension. For those that don't know Jesus, And this is so important for those that don't know Jesus. I hope we never forget that our words are meant to be a preview of God's to them. That those who don't know God that well and aren't really like tuned into whatever he has to say, they ought to be able to listen to you and I talk and get a preview of what God has to say to them, to get a preview of his grace, a preview of his wisdom, a preview of his plan, a preview of his, his patience. What preview are we giving the world of what God has to say to them? And I wonder if we need to change our ratio. And by the way, if you're not a Christian and just now you're like, what are you talking about? Preview, God's words. This is what I'm talking about. I believe that God wants to speak the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the savior of the world into your life. And I believe that when he does, you're never gonna be the same. And I hope that anytime you are around us, we speak to you in a way that makes you wanna know more, not less. That's what I'm talking about. So for all of us, your words have the power of life and death. And here's the deal. You have no idea what a word from you could do. You have no idea what a word from you can do. And you got examples of this, and I got examples of this, but I'd just like to close with one that came on my radar screen as I was preparing for this message. I wanna tell you about two conversations that I can't remember. One happened in college years ago. I was at the University of North Carolina and I was going to fellowship of Christian athletes for like one of their meetings. And one of the times they asked me to give like a devotional, that's Christian talk for stand up in front of people and share for a minute. And I did for like five minutes and it was mediocre. I didn't wanna do it. I'd never done it before. It wasn't my thing. And I I was like, fine. Well, as we were leaving, this girl whose name I can't remember. I don't know if I even ever knew her name. I think she was a senior, I was a freshman. She came up to me and she said, hey, I almost left without saying this, but I just felt the Holy Spirit prompting me to tell you, you need to do more of that. You need to speak and tell people about Jesus. I just feel like God. this is what God's created you to do. <laughs> I was like, well, that's pretty forward. <laughs> I have neither a passion nor a talent for this. It's not even on my radar screen. But she said, be that as it may, I just, I, I just feel like I'm supposed to tell you God created you to do that. And I don't even know her name. But I remember that conversation like it happened yesterday. And God used that one conversation with a girl, I can't even tell you her name as part of a bigger process to completely change the trajectory of my life and lead me to this moment right here. Fast forward a whole bunch of years to another conversation, a young man in one of our student ministries at one of our campuses where I was the student pastor regularly speaking and telling people about Jesus like she said all those years ago. And uh, this kid had a really dysfunctional home life and really struggled with self-confidence and hope and excitement for his future and just really negative vibes. And um, evidently one time after I got done speaking, like we knew each other. He came up and he shared this with me and we had a conversation. And evidently I said, hey, I'm really sorry to hear that, but I just want you to know I believe in you. And I'm excited about your life. I'm excited about what God is gonna do with you. Well, this kid calls me a couple weeks ago, now in his 20s. And he called, we caught up for a bit, but he said, hey, you know, I really called because I wanted to thank you. You probably don't remember, but we had this conversation back in high school and I didn't remember, but he recounted that conversation to me. And he said, hey, I wanted to thank you because in college I went through a long stretch where I really struggled with depression and I really struggled with wanting to commit suicide. And, and, and one of the things, one of a handful of things that kept me going was the knowledge that someone in the world was excited about my life. And I didn't want to let you down. So thanks for saying that. I don't even remember it. So, what is a conversation? with a girl whose name I can't remember had to do with a conversation with a young man whose content I can't even remember. Your words have the power of life and death. And you have no idea what a word from you could do. You have no idea what a word from you could do. So what do you say we start changing our ratio? What do you say we start loving one another enough to change our ratio and see what happens? See what God does. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, I pray that you will draw our attention to our words, perhaps like never before. I pray that you will both excite and break our hearts for what could happen if we began to change our ratio. And I pray that you would give us the wisdom to know how to apply this, what arena and what relationship, and you give us courage to do it. And we do pray that you would begin to speak life in Jesus name to our families our friends our coworkers and to this community that we love and that you love so so much help us do that in Jesus name we pray amen